you showed up. You're here. We didn't know. Thanks for being here. And now we know who the real Christians are. There's us and then those people over there at the fair. Um, so man, I honestly so glad you guys are here because it would be weird if, if you weren't. So thanks for being here. Um, I, I do have a quick question. We, we are in week two of a new series called next steps. And, um, this question will kind of get us into our conversation this morning, but, um, how many of you fancy yourself as uh, a handyman woman? You're kind of, you're good at building things. Quick show of hands. Like four. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm not the only one that's terrible at this. How many of you, you're terrible. Just go ahead. It's fantastic. Um, okay, next question. How many of you have a love-hate relationship with IKEA furniture? Like you love the affordability of it, but you hate putting it together. So when when Darcy and I were married, uh, we, we didn't we didn't have much. We didn't have a whole lot of money. We didn't have a whole lot of possessions, but we had a whole lot of love. And we thought that like, okay, you know, we're going to get married. We're going to build a home and build our lives together. But first, we needed to build furniture for our home. Are you with me? So we went to Ikea because we had nothing and we bought all their furniture and uh, specifically bookshelves for some reason, probably because I was in seminary or whatever, but we bought these bookshelves and I thought like, this will be really good for our marriage because we're going to work together. Uh, Some of you are already jumping to the conclusion. Hang with me. We're going to work together. Um, It's going to work on our communication, you know, speak clearly uh, we're going to laugh. We're, we're building our home. We're creating a life together. And, and who wouldn't want that, honestly, right? I mean, everybody wants that. And so, like every everyone, you get the stuff from Ikea, you come home, you open the box, and you get the instructions. Now, Ikea is, ooh, they're devilish. Here's what they do. They give you the first set of instructions. Can you see this? No words, by the way. No words, just images, just pictures. And you can see, you know, step number two, you put slot A into configure department B and look at figure 4.5 and that'll show you your next simple steps for constructing something. But here, like I said, ooh, they're slimy. Here's what they do. Halfway through the project, the instructions turn into this. (laughs) You ever been there? So here's what happens. Um, our moment of joy of, of like, we love one another. We're building each other up in marriage. And woo, we're so in love. Turned into uh, World War III at our home. And here's kind of what happened. Um, Darcy's the detailed one, if you haven't figured that out. My wife is the detailed one in the relationship. I'm like, I'm a big picture guy. Like, furniture's going to look amazing. I have no idea how to put it together, but it's going to look amazing. And she can figure out how to put it together. So she's working on it, but we're, we're at a crossroads because we put the glue in the gizmo in like the little hole and you need the little wooden peg. You can tell by the words I'm using, I have no idea what I'm talking about. So we're, we're, it's in there, but we don't have, we don't have the side wall to go in the little wooden pegs for the support. And so I'm trying to explain to her, like, I know what the picture looks like, but honey, I think you're doing it wrong. This doesn't go into that slot. And she said, yes, it does. And I said, no, it doesn't. Otherwise it would be in there. Right. And it's not. And she's looking at the instructions going, there's no words, but there's numbers. And so I start doing something that she refers to as mansplaining. And women, if you're not familiar with what mansplaining is, I'll explain it to you. It's, it's when a man will over explain something to a woman so that she can under, I can, I can tell I'm losing you. Let me try another way of explaining it. So this is what she accused me of doing. And she said, man, I I wish you would stop being a man and just read the instructions. To which I responded, there are no words to read on the instructions. 
what are we going to do? And so it was, boom, it was like a powder keg just blew up into our home. And so this goal of like, yay, we're going to build our life and our marriage just turned into a massive fight. So instead of building Ikea furniture, we had to circle back and rebuild our marriage. Now, now here's, here's why I say this. Because I thought by reading the instructions, uh, I, I would be, I'd be able to build it. I would be... I had all the tools necessary, right? I had the understanding. I had the information. But, and you probably know this as well, but Darcy and I learned a very important lesson that day, and I, I want to share it with you. It, it's simply this. Information does not equal transformation. It just doesn't. Information does not equal transformation. And those of you who, you know, you fancy yourself, the four of you, as, as crafty people, you can put stuff together. The rest of us, we've all experienced this if we've ever gone on YouTube to figure out how to do a little DIY project at the house. You're like, plumbing, leaky toilet, how hard could it be? I'll just YouTube it. And then you YouTube it and you go, I got this. And then five minutes later, you're calling the city to shut off the water, right? It's just gone. Um, some of us, we've gone to marriage conferences. We, we've read all the marriage material, but um, our marriage doesn't reflect the books that we've read. I was trying to massage that and say that very, very politely and nicely. Um, how about the world of academia? You know this to be true. You, you go in there and you're super excited and I declare my major. And you, you declare it with, with great gusto. I'm going to be a business major. So what do you do? You listen to the lectures. You read all the books. Do a couple case studies. But all you're getting is information. When you graduate and they spit you out of their college, what happens? You have no idea what you're doing. You're not some business savant, some guru in the business world. You know, you've never even done this before. You just have information. And if we're not careful, this bleeding goes into every aspect of our lives and it'll bleed into, into our church life, into our spirituality. And we think because we've read the good book, we have all the information, then our life is just going to be perfect. And the problem is information doesn't lead to transformation. It's just it's just information. This is why you can have people that go to church their whole lives and they're still grumpy, angry Christians. The information hasn't led them to transformation. Are you, are you with me? This is really, really crucial that we understand this. So if information doesn't lead to transformation, that begs the question, what does? So what does? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Thanks for asking. So um, here's what does. It's a little formula I'll give you. Information plus, what's the word? Experience. Experience. That equals transformation. See, the information that, that we receive, we also have to have experience. You need the right information and the right experience, and that's going to lead to transformation. You can have the wrong information and the right experience, and that doesn't lead to transformation. It leads to confusion. Or you can even flip those around. But, but we need the right information and the right experience. And that will lead us to transformation. And, and this is crucial. This is crucial for us to understand because there, there is a whole generation. And, and probably it would be too simple to say it's just a younger generation. There are lots of people in, in America alone leaving the church, walking away from their faith. And, and the phrase that comes up more often than not that I hear is it is a lack of relevancy. It just doesn't pertain to their life. And the problem is not with information. Because you know, younger generations, those of you raising teenagers, you know, they have the world at their fingertips. They have every, we have too much information. We don't have an information problem, do we? There's no shortage of this. We have an experience problem. 
See, the information I'm hearing about God, about the church, messages about God's love for me, that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, that might not match our experience, which leads to confusion, which leads to people going, I don't get it. It's not really relevant. And so they walk away from the church claiming that it never worked and it does work. They just haven't experienced the transformation because they have information and not the correct experiences. This is true in every aspect of your life. Information alone will not fix the problem. If it would, we just read the book, the blog article, and then poof, listen to the podcast, and then the problems are gone. It's, it's this experience. And you have young people walking away from the church going, yeah, I know the information says this, but this is what I've felt. This is what I've experienced. I, I, I know God is love, but I haven't felt that because I have this in my life. I know the church says everyone is welcome, but I've, I, this has been my experience. I know that I'm supposed to grow and be a good person, but I, this is what I've experienced. And it, it hasn't led to transformation. Now, I'm painting with very broad strokes, but I, I think if we're honest with one another, to some extent, that's been our journey as well. But I think what's been different from people who do not walk away from the faith is their experience with God, their experience with the information, their experience with God's people. See, this, this, what we're talking about here in this series called Next Steps is so important. This isn't go to church so you can be like a nice moralistic person. No, no one has time for that. This, this is about transformation. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus goes and calls the disciples and says, hey, come follow me. He's telling them, you can do what I do. You can learn to live your life like I would live your life. If I actually had your life and I don't know about you, that's good news because I, sometimes I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And then I ask the question, what would Jesus do? And I don't really know. But part of the gospel message is that Jesus will teach me. He will, here's our word, transform me. A transformation will occur to where I wake up in the morning and I know what I'm supposed to do. I would do the very thing that Jesus would do if he lived my life. If he had my job, if he was married to my spouse, if he was raising my kid, do you know what I mean? This is good news. And to a world that has conflicting information, this is really good news. They could use an experience that leads to transformation. This, this, this is what, this is what we're about. This is our deepest desire. This is the desire, I think, of the world. So I said it before, but this is vitally important. We need the right information and the right experience. Most people growing up in the church have the correct information. It's, it's their experience of ap- applying that information that we need to highlight or adjust or tweak a little bit. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about an experience. We're going to look at two Bible passages. And I'm telling you, the first one, buckle up. It's challenging. So you've been warned. You've been warned. So stick with me. The second one feels a little bit um, nicer. <laughs> so if you've got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 17. And yes, we put it on the screens every single time. I want to encourage us. Man, use your Bible like a textbook. Mark that thing up. Circle, highlight, draw arrows, smiley faces even. Whatever you got to do. So we'll pick it up in Luke 17, uh, starting in verse 7. This is Jesus. And he's talking to his disciples. And they have a lot of information, but, but there's an experience that they're missing out on. And this parable, this story that Jesus tells to have a certain point, this story is going to give them the experience or set them up for the experience that they need. 
So Luke 17, verse 7. He's talking to his disciples. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. So he's talking to the disciples. Now you're the master disciple. Uh, Just pretend for a minute that you got servants that work under you. And they're going, oh yeah, that sounds great. Will he not, or I'm sorry, will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? And the answer is no, he won't say that. Because in Jesus' day and age, the servant would go out and do the task, do the requirement, do the job, and they would come back, and they weren't off the clock. They wouldn't just go and eat and do their thing, and the master prep a meal for them and say, thanks for working, I appreciate that. No, no, no. The servant would serve and then come back and prep the table for the master. Once the food was cooked, it was nice and warm, drinks were poured, you know, you got your fork, your salad fork, your dinner fork, and you're not, you know, the whole, the whole nine. Once that was taken care of, then the servant could go. And serve himself and prepare a meal for himself. So verse 8. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. And the answer is, yeah, that's that's exactly what they would say. So verse 9. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? No, because he did what he was told to do. Verse 10. So you also, looking at the disciples and us today... So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I don't like that. That's challenging to me. Because the point is, to the disciples, he's like, look, you're following after me? You want a parade? I don't, you're doing your job. So let me give you the first point. We'll, we'll tease it out a little bit. Number one in your notes, a servant's job is to serve. I know you came here for Sunday morning for the deep stuff. This is super profound. A servant's job is to, is to serve. Now imagine for a moment in, in today's context. Um, let's assume that you got, you got a brand new job. You've been praying about it for a long time and you know, you celebrate with your spouse and you know, tonight you're going to have dinner and you know, the pinatas are coming out like the whole nine. You're just going to live it up. You're going to have a party. But you're also going to go to bed at a somewhat decent hour because you know that new job starts tomorrow morning. After all, that'll be Monday. So you go to bed, you wake up, you're refreshed, you have your favorite breakfast, and it's a nice job, so you put on your nice clothes. You're looking good, snazzy. You leave the house on time so that you can arrive at the office at 8.55 so that by the time you make it up to your cubicle and fire on that computer, it pops up at 9 o'clock sharp, baby. You begin work. And so what do you do? You pop up the database, you grab the phone, and you make your first sales call. It's a cold call, but you're super excited. You make that phone call, and lo and behold, the thing you're selling is the thing the the, the person wants to buy. And you completed your first sale, baby, and it is 9-10. Woo! You're hyped. You do a little dance around the office. You make sure all your cubicle mates know. They can hear you, by the way. And you're having a great time. You march yourself into your boss's office. You sit down, pop your feet up on the table, and you say, I need a raise. What do you think the boss is going to say? I don't know that the boss will say anything. They'll probably just point. (laughs) Get out. (laughs) Why? I'm not going to give you a raise because you're doing what we agreed that you would do. You're getting paid for this. This is the transaction. You do your job, you get the paycheck. Imagine, maybe that doesn't hit close to home. Um, Imagine you come home from work. You come home from work, and before you go inside, uh, you, you end up taking out the trash. 
and you walk in and you're like, baby, I just want you to know before I got here, I took the trash out and I'm going to help clean up dishes. And I know, I know I'm so good. And I'm going to help put the kids to bed. I just want you to know that that's what, that's what I'm going to do. I don't know how that would go over at your home. Uh, that would not fly. Not even like an inch at my home. Why? I'm a husband. There are certain things that I'm just supposed to do. I'm a dad. I'm supposed to help put my kids to bed. We, we run a, a household. We have a marriage. We run a family. I'm supposed to put the dishes away. But here's my thing. I'm a words of affirmation guy. For those of you who know your love languages, I'm a word of affirmation guy. I need, I need the parade. I need the pinata. Like, woo, you did what you were supposed to do. I'm like, that's right. I did. And my wife, Darcy, she's like, I'm not going to give you that. Just a little peek into my life and our marriage. I don't. That's what we agreed to do. Why do you need that? And I'm like, well, cause you should, cause, cause I'm insecure and I need the validation. Oh, why don't you work on that, Steve? Yeah. <laughs> this is Jesus's point. He's like, you woke up early in the morning, you read your Bible, you prayed, you even scribbled it down in a journal. And then we say, Lord, you know, bless me, help me to have a great day. He's like, I already have. And then we get all bent out of shape when, you know, there's traffic or we have an awkward conversation in the hallway and we're like, Lord, I did all these things. And he's like, Hello. That's what you're supposed to do. Need I remind you, Steve, that you get heaven when you die? Is that not good enough? A servant's job is to... Oh, come on. A servant's job is to... That's what they do. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to love God. We're supposed to go and choose righteous and holy things. We're supposed to flee from sin. It's what we do servant's job is to serve the the point from this is that okay jesus is our master my job is to serve jesus what does my master want me to do he wants me to love people he wants me to serve them he wants me to do what he does i told you that the first one that's a little it's a little challenging. Um, I, I want to give you a quick little sidebar, and then we'll jump right back to our previously scheduled sermon. Um, this is free. <laughs> this is extra. But this idea of serving is so, man, it's so profound. So I want to give you just two quick points I was thinking about, and then we'll jump right back in. Um, the first one is this. Serving isn't an extra, car, extra credit assignment or something to do if you have time. A servant's job is to serve. My job is to serve. That's what I do. In high school, I used to bug my youth pastor like crazy, um, and I was really good at it too. And so uh, I would ask him this question. I would say, okay, his name was Andrew. I'd say, Andrew, um, what is the bare minimum, like the lowest, what is the least amount of effort that I have to devote to Jesus so I can be saved, so I can get heaven when I die? I know, and all of you are thinking, and why are you sitting up here teaching? But I used to bug him about it because, you know, something about wanting to live my life and do my own thing and not serve other people or serve God. 
And he would always look at me and he goes, Steve, what do you mean? I say, well, you know, like, what's the lowest? Is there like a secret handshake? Is it a prayer? Uh, a good deed? Like, what, what is it? And he would look at me. He said, the bare minimum that Jesus requires of you? And I said, yeah. And he said, everything. That's it. And I said, Andrew, uh, I'm in high school, man. You, you got to break that down for me. You know, I, I don't know if you heard me, but the lowest required work to get in. And he said, everything. That's what it means to put your faith, your hope, your trust, to, to believe in Jesus. Jesus didn't die for part of you. He wants all of you. My, I, I'm a servant. My job is to serve. It's what, it's what I do. The second one, like I said, this is free of charge. Um, number two, I don't know if your mind goes this way, but an insight into my world. Um, I had to write this down for me. This isn't adding to your to-do list. It's rearranging your priorities. That's good. I was expecting someone like, oh, we got to tweet that. That's really good. I'll say it again because you might have missed it. This isn't adding to your to-do list. It's rearranging your priorities. Yeah! Because why? A servant's job is to serve. This isn't extra. It's not extra credit. It's rearranging my priorities. It's the idea that, man, after a long day, I've been doing stuff at work, and I'm coming home, and I'm taking out the trash, and I'm doing all these things, and my kid goes, hey, hey, Dad, let's go play some Legos. Let's go build Legos. And I go, I don't have time. I'm tired. See, I, I, I put that request up in the to-do list section. I didn't put that in the priority section. I'm a dad. It, I get on the floor. I play Legos and we search for hours for the little itty bitty thing that rolled under the couch. You know what I mean? That one thing that holds the whole thing together. That one. It's what I do. Those of you who are married, don't look at your spouse right now. <laughs> look at me. And I have learned this the hard way and I have a long way to go in this. Um, let me speak to the men for a quick second. Um, Men, I'm learning that there's a difference between providing and serving. Those are two totally different things. And I have been assuming that that serving my family, my spouse, uh, fit under the umbrella of providing. And I'm learning that those are two very different things. See, my marriage is strong when I serve. And and if I were to love my wife and say, well, I did my to-do list, that doesn't feel loving, does it? In my priorities, my, my job is to serve her. I, I'm a husband. It's what I do. And, and if you want your marriage to be amazing, if really you want to take it up to the next level, I suggest this. Don't even talk about it because you'll get in a whole lot of trouble. Don't talk about it. But just in your own mind, have a serving competition. Don't you say, this is what I'm going to do. And, and, and remember, you can't serve with the expectation that your spouse is going to serve you back, right? That's manipulation. That's not serving at all. Serving. I'm just, as I go throughout my day, I'm just going to serve people. Why? It's what I do because I'm a servant of Jesus. And if I can't serve my family, how in the world am I supposed to serve the world? And there are levels to this. So I just, I, I want to encourage all of us, myself included, I'm learning this, and it is changing, and it is having a very good impact. But man, the learning curve on this can be really steep. Our job is to serve. If you are married, your job is to serve. If you're a parent, your job is to serve your kids. 
Then we can talk about serving in the workplace. We can serve in the market, the culture, serve at the fair. Like we can talk about all these other things, but we have to have that thing inside of us that says, I am a servant of God. What I do is I serve. Now back to our regular scheduled program, because anytime we put that humility on and we start serving people, this thought is bound to come up. And I want to share it with you. Number two in your notes, people usually don't mind serving as long as they aren't treated like a servant. Can I get an amen? Isn't that the worst? This, I think, has everything to do with humility. It's got everything to do with humility. And I have found, or so I have been told, um, when I serve people, my, my, ego, uh, my ego gets destroyed. And so I've been told people actually like that. Do you know what I mean? They're like, that. no one likes hanging out with the guy who's got this massive ego. When they walk into the room, you're like, okay, Hollywood, like, back it down. Like, whoa, come on, just be normal. But that's, how do you get rid of your pride? How do you get rid of your arrogance, your ego? You, you humble yourself and you serve people. And it's okay if you're treated like a servant. This is, in fact, what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords When you and I serve other people, and, and even when we feel like a servant, we are doing the exact thing that Jesus has done for us. This, this, is, this isn't just something to tack into your to-do list. I'm telling you, this, this, is, mm, this is so important. This is so important. Okay, I want to jump over because the, this passage is going to speak to our humility because, man, that statement is so true. It is hard to serve when you're being treated like a servant, when you feel like people are taking advantage of it. So I want us to read a little story and, and we'll give you the third point and we'll wrap it up. Um, so Jesus has just, he's predicted his death. He's talking to the disciples. He says, hey, here's the deal. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to pull off Easter. It's going to be amazing. And it's not the first time that he says this. He, he said this before. And here's where our story picks up. After Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. Here's what he says. Mark chapter 10 Verse 35, then James and John, the son of the sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, which is a bold request. That's a big, mm, a big question. And here's what's amazing. Look at Jesus's response. Verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? He entertains it. Amazing. I, I just, I think that's fascinating. You're like, just read. I, I think it's amazing. Um, verse 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten had heard this, they became, what's that word? Indignant. I love that. That's such a good word. That's your word of the day. Try and use that in a sentence. When the ten heard this, the other disciples, they're like, what? They weren't upset. They weren't frustrated. They became indignant with James and John. Rightly so. And Jesus called them together. He said, all right, group huddle. Come on, bring it in. We got to clarify some things. 
He said, you know that those who, re- who are regarded as rulers to the Gentile, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And they all said, yeah, you know, no, we know that. We've seen that. We, I, we have a friend. Same thing. Verse 43, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking about himself, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Last point in your notes is this, being a servant is the greatest job in the world. This is according to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The greatest thing that you and I can do is to serve. If we want to be first, we'd be last. Um... Going back to the information piece. Some of you, you've been to church, you've heard this before. You got the information. Get it. I've done it. Okay, I understand. It, it's that experience piece. And this isn't a, a one-time experience. This is ongoing. This is ongoing. And here, here's what's so great about this. Um, when you and I put on the identity of a servant and we start serving people... Our relationships, they just get better. Why? Because you want to hang around people that take care of you. We all do. I feel like that's just human nature. The other thing that's fascinating, when you and I, we put on this identity and we do the greatest job there is, we serve other people, we are experiencing that. We are becoming transformed. So the gospel message isn't just something that I intellectually know. It is something that I have lived out. And that leads to transformation. And what's even better is when we serve other people in the name of Jesus, they're getting the information that God loves them. They're getting the experience of being loved by God through his people. That leads them to a transformed life. You want to make sure the next generation doesn't walk away from the faith. You have to couple your information with experience. I can promise you this. If my kids, if your kids, if our kids leave the faith, it will not be because of a lack of information. It will be experience that they did not experience what the information said. And that, friends, that responsibility lies with us, the servants. Our job is to go and serve people so that when we say, in the name of Jesus Christ, this is what I'm doing for you, why, why in the world would you do this? Because, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me, and this is why I'm doing it for you. And you do that over and over and over and over again. All of a sudden, people start to get it. Their lives start to be transformed. This is so much more than like be a good person and serve if you sat in this service and feel guilty. No one has time for that. This has everything to do with passing on the gospel to the next generation. Even to your peers who have walked away from church. We all have friends who have walked away from the faith. This is vitally important. This isn't a cute next step so we have five steps because five is some magical number. This is transformation. This is what the world is searching for. And we have the answer. Our job, my job, your job is to serve people so that the information and their experience will lead them to transformation. So here's how we're going to close this up because all of us, I think, need to take this step. Um, We're going to put a QR code on the screen. And here's the deal. I want to encourage you to take out your phones. We did this last week. We're going to do it this week. We'll probably do it again next week. But scan this. This is going to take you to the next steps website. And the whole idea is this. Each and every one of us, man, we are unique. We, God has made us special. We have certain gifts, talents, abilities. 
We were created to serve. These are the good works that we were created to do. And I'm not asking you to sign up to serve somewhere so you can help us run our program. For anyone who's cynical. (laughs) This is about you using your gifts and abilities and serving and blessing people. Think through a minute in your own life. Man, the people, you have the mile markers along your spiritual growth, along that journey, those moments of impact that you can look back on. I'm willing to bet that there was a human being attached to that. There was someone that was walking alongside you, that was answering your questions, that was helping you. They, man, you needed a shoulder to cry on? Boom, there's your shoulder. You needed some advice of how to go through this thing? That's what you did. You got some junior high or high school kid going, hey, I know God will never leave me or forsake me, but why am I going through this? And you go, well, let me tell you, this God doesn't promise that you won't have trouble on this earth. That, that takes care of, that's heaven. That gets solved in heaven. But this God will walk with you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll prepare a table for you. You're not alone. He's walking with you through this so that when you get through the other side, because you will, with God, you will have learned something. So when your friend Johnny goes through the exact same experience that I did, you can walk him through it. That Serving, that, that's what it is. It's serving one another. You can serve them with wisdom, with your presence. I mean, there's so many different ways to go and serve. And all we're going to ask is that, man, scan the thing and start going through and saying, Lord, how have you uniquely wired me? How have you gifted me? And how can I pass this forward? I think one of the amazing things that we do is the people that serve in the nursery and they're holding kids and playing with them. This is not babysitting. You have volunteers that are serving your family and praying for your children. That they, would, that they would come to know God at an early age. That they would be a light on a hill that other people could look to when they're lost. We're not babysitting. We're not doing youth stuff so we can have pizza and throw dodgeballs. We're not doing this so we can sit in air-conditioned rooms. We are changing the world. And the greatest thing that you and I can do, according to Jesus, the one we follow, is to serve other people. And as we do this, it starts with us making the decision going, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Transformation kicks in when you and I realize that we've stopped thinking about it. We just become people that do this. And that's where God wants to lead us. That's my prayer for us. So would you bow your your heads? Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? God, we come before you and we just say thank you for sending your son and his example of what it means to serve one another. Lord, I pray for myself. I got a lot of room to grow in this. So Lord, I ask that you would help me. I ask that you would help us this week. Give us opportunities. Give us situations where we can serve other people, that we could bless other people so that their experience of you matches the information that they've heard. And God, we trust that your Holy Spirit is at work in their lives and the transformation process is beginning. God, I pray that we would continue to do that, that you would use this church, that we would continue to move forward. And people throughout Whatcom County and beyond, God, they could say, there's a lot of things they could say about Christians, Lord, but the thing that they could not say, I pray this, Lord, is that we were prideful, that we were arrogant, and that we didn't serve. Lord, may they never be able to say that. 
because you have a group of people that have rallied together and said, we will take on the identity as servant. We will serve just like Jesus has done because it is the greatest way that we can show love to one another. I pray, Lord, that the ministries at this church would be strengthened, that the relationships and the families at home, Lord, that that would be strengthened. And that people that are so far from you, Lord, that are lost, I pray that they would notice the transformation that's occurring here. Father, and would that lead them to conversations where they could receive information. And Father, may their experience of you be transforming as well. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close by singing one more song.